So do you remember Joe Jr. from last week? Last week, Joseph showed us what it looks like when man loves God in return. There's much in Joseph's example that demonstrates that, but this one little fact is emblematic of his loving God too, our response to his love for us. The angel appeared to him and tells him to not be afraid, to take Mary as his wife, and to name the baby Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph does exactly that. Doesn't name him Joseph Jr. or anything else, but Jesus. The Christmas story is the recounting of how God began to fix everything in earnest, in time and space with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Not that he hadn't been working on it for millennia, but now in earnest in history on earth where we could see him in the person of Jesus Christ, he begins to work out this plan. And true to himself, the first part of that story is his message of love. And we looked at that last week, what it looks like when God loves man, John chapter 3, 16 and 17. An act of the will in our best interest at his cost, no matter how we respond. And then we looked at what it looks like when man loves God in return, Matthew chapter 1. This was Joseph, a normal guy, a tradesman, just trying to do what God wants him to do, just loving God too and learning as he goes. And he doesn't name the child Joe Jr. Now I bring that up because as simple as it seems to be, it isn't always easy to do, is it? To love God, too. We have a great example of that today. It just amazes me how practical the Scripture can be and how in its narrative we find such tangible examples of ourselves, really. We often don't get it right, do we? And Scripture gives us such great examples of both that and how God responds to that. Just name the kid what you were told. Joseph got it right. Would we have? Our next part of the Christmas story is about forgiveness. It's about a guy just like us. His name is Zechariah. Okay, so most of us don't have a name that starts with Z. But other than that, I think we would find we identify with this man. I better set the stage a little bit because we may not remember all of the details of the story. When the angel of God appears to Mary to tell her that she will bear the Son of God, we're already in the middle of a bigger story. You realize that. And that's why the angel throws in this little detail. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. You see, the story started with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke tells us that Elizabeth, earlier in the chapter, in verse 7, that Elizabeth was very old and had not been able to conceive. Elizabeth is, in fact, an older relative of Mary's. And her husband is Zechariah. He was a priest, and while serving in the temple, he had a visit from the same angel, Gabriel, that spoke to Mary. It happens in verse 13, he's afraid 
And Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard that your wife will conceive and have a child. Now, how old was that prayer? This is where we might find ourselves identifying with Zechariah. He certainly hadn't just prayed it yesterday. Oh, Lord, may we have a child. By this point, I'm sure he'd long since stopped praying that prayer, for they were both old. In fact, it had been such a long time, he didn't believe Gabriel. So he was told that he would not be able to speak until the baby was born. So Zechariah, for the time, is mute because he didn't believe. So simple, yet he didn't respond the way he should. Now, back to Elizabeth. She was a relative of of Mary, a cousin probably, and they apparently had a good relationship because she would be a person of great comfort for Mary in this very controversial time in her life. Of course, to be found pregnant before she was married was very controversial. Many, I'm sure, didn't just accept the fact that this was something of God, and so she found comfort in going immediately to be with her cousin. And they had a mutual joy that they shared, of course. And Elizabeth seems to know who the child is that Mary is bearing as well. So two very special children, indeed, two very special women. So now we're at our passage for today that was read for us. Luke returns to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth because this is about the birth of John the Baptist. This miraculous birth came about to prepare the way for Jesus, the one who had been prophesied uh, about as Elijah who would prepare the way. And that's what John the Baptist did. He fulfilled the prophecy and he prepared the way. Now this is all great and grand and God's amazing unfolding plan in loving us first. But I want you also to see the very human elements he incorporates and tolerates, that is, God tolerates as we don't always get it or we don't always get it right. Zechariah didn't always get it right. We saw that he didn't believe Gabriel and paid a price for it. Now in the story, we're at the time when the baby is born, and we're back to the Joe Jr. thing. You know, the people think, well, they're going to name him Zechariah or some other name in the family. After all, they ought to do it. He can't. He can't speak. (laughs) But then we see they do get it right. Mary says, no, he'll be called John. And then Zechariah writes, no, his name is John. Because in verse 13, they had been told by Gabriel to name him John. And then Zechariah goes from being a mute to a prophet who sings a song. Verses 67 to 79. Now, Zechariah offers us two pictures, I believe, of forgiveness. After he fails to believe as he should, he's forgiven. Then he is used as an instrument of God's message to all people around him. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at the song. But first, I want us to reflect on some things we can learn from Zechariah in his own need of forgiveness. We are all in need of our own forgiveness. Are we not? Oh, the world is a mess, isn't it? 
It's just a mess. Isn't it terrible, all the things that are happening? Racial tension that divides our nation. Middle Eastern travesties. A war that is causing refugees by the millions. In our own country, we continue to see these single random acts of senseless violence. We have environmental problems and natural calamities that are happening worldwide. But that is no more real than in our own very lives, isn't it? We all struggle with racial prejudice and bigotry at some level, personally, don't we? Oh, it's just horrible how our country is so divided racially. Do we ignore the own struggles we have with our own personal prejudices and bigotry? Well, we don't like to say them. Maybe we don't utter them at all, but we think them. No one is a fan of ISIS, and it's deplorable what they're doing. But how disturbed are we about the travesties that are happening? Or does the news end and so do our thoughts? We deplore random acts of violence. But how many random angry words or acts do we senselessly commit with those right around us? Some of those we say we love most. We would say we're stewards, and yet what part do we play in destroying this world that God has given us? We are all in need of our own forgiveness. This world is a mess, but that's no more true than in the lives of every one of us. We might have done a lot of things right, but not everything Just because we get some things right doesn't mean that we have it all together. Zechariah was a good priest. He was a faithful man. They were a couple that was chosen, especially to be the recipients of this miracle and bring about the son that would prepare the way for Jesus. And yet, he too messed up. All it takes is one thing, and we need to be forgiven again. And God is forever offering another opportunity to get it right. Maybe there'll come a day when that opportunity will not stand, but his patience is great. And he keeps giving us other chances. I guess we can call him a God of second chances, but I was thinking about that term this week, and I thought, you know, that assumes that we only mess up one time and he gives us one more chance. He's a God of the umpteenth chance, isn't he? He's much more patient than that. We all need to stare forgiveness in the face from this side. 
that he has taken the first step to make things right, and we desperately need that. And you'll see in your notes this verse that I've included in there from 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, which is there in our next frame. We had love last week, now we have forgiveness. And this statement is trustworthy, Timothy tells us. That deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And as I explained that when we dealt with forgiveness earlier in the fall, this trustworthy statement was not something that Paul simply spoke of himself, though he applied it to himself. It was meant to be something that is true for each and every one of us. What we ought to wag our heads and clack our tongues at being deplorable is the fact that we continue to commit the sins that we do. This deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The hard thing about accepting a gift is accepting our need for it. This is where God's gift or any other gift at Christmas, for example, may differ. You may be given an ugly sweater this winter. I understand that's really cool now. You know, I don't know, the ugly Christmas sweaters or something. But uh, you may be given something that you don't really appreciate, and you just graciously take it, and that's nice. And, and of course, you're nice to the person. You're just saying to yourself, I didn't need that. That may be true for you with a Christmas gift, but that's not true with the truest gift of Christmas, is it? The hard thing about receiving a gift is accepting the fact that we also need it. God's gift is not like an ugly Christmas sweater. God's gift is precious beyond what we can measure, and it's also needed beyond what we even know. We are all in need of forgiveness. We might have gotten a lot of things right, but not everything, and God is offering once again the opportunity to get it right. So we should stare forgiveness in the eyes from that side, our own personal need. But there's another picture of forgiveness from the story of Zechariah, and that's from this beautiful song of prophecy that he sings. This promised forgiveness available for everyone. His song of promised redemption and forgiveness that his son will prepare for for all to see. So the first verses are, are just so predictable for the words of a priest who represented the people for God, uh, before God. There's perspective, there's history, there's God's plan, there's hope for the future, there's purpose in the present. That's in the first verses 67 to, uh, to, to 75, where he speaks of how this was prophesied, praise be to the Lord, and that he is sending salvation from our enemies to show mercy to our ancestors and to fulfill the covenant that he swore through Abraham. And then the next verses in verses 76 and 77 are kind of the words of a father. And you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of God through the forgiveness of their sins. And this is the first side of forgiveness that he knew all too well, that we all need this forgiveness. But then I want you to see how the song goes into great mercy way beyond 
the individual, way beyond this side of forgiveness, my personal need, to this forgiveness available to all people. Verses 78 and 79 are the most intriguing verses, and they're the more complex, intricate, and less predictable. There's a picture here of people lost in a dark place. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, there's a picture here of people lost in a dark place. This is all over the Christmas story, Isaiah chapter 9. A a light has shone on the people in the darkness. And then it moves on to say that, of course, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. These people are in darkness, and the pronoun changes to guide our feet into the peace Uh, the paths of peace. This darkness speaks of the messiness of life, the complexities of the problems, the difficulties of determining fault and blame and responsibility or victimization. The rising sun comes to guide our feet into the paths of peace. Now, paths. Paths means that this is a journey. It's not just all solved in an instant. You see the biblical concept behind our idea that we are walking together, that we're using this path that we have over and over on the screen to show that this is the biblical journey we're all supposed to be walking together toward because all of us are walking out of darkness because we're all personally in need of forgiveness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. There's even a clause there, isn't there? A conditional. If. You see, we are all walking out of this darkness in paths of peace. This peace term is the Old Testament shalom term. Uh, It speaks of a broad concept of well-being, not simply spiritual peace, but also physical and natural soundness of mind and health, even to signify prosperity, well-being in general, all good in relation to man, both man and God. And the New Testament uses the same sense of this. We have still the expectation of peace through the coming of Christ and all its fulfillment in the highest spiritual sense and the most tangible earthly sense. So what does that mean? That means that we are to be helping people and ourselves walking out in, on this journey of the darkness into Welfare for everyone, a better well-being for everyone. So, see if you fig- can figure out where this, when this quote was written. I'll tell you at the end, of course. Do you not know that it is all? nonsense to regard religion as a selfish spiritual trade by which we save our own souls. 
It's useless to hope for peace till you know how to love. Where come wars and fightings but from a want of love? Unless your religion tears you away from yourself and makes you live for something nobler than even your own spiritual good, you have not passed out of the darkness into the light of God. Did you hear that? Unless your religion tears you away from yourself and makes you live something nobler than even your own spiritual good, you have not passed out of the darkness into the light of God. Only the way of unselfishness is the way of peace. I ask you, therefore, today to think very tenderly of all poor people. These are hard times. Let those who have more than they actually want be ready always to relieve distress, which is very urgent just now. That wasn't written yesterday either. Charles Spurgeon wrote that 150 years ago. We're all walking out of darkness and we are to walk in paths that take us to this shalom, this greater peace. Spiritual redemption, no doubt. But people's well-being in general as well. Forgiveness is not just yours. Forgiveness is yours to share. Forgiving others as you've been forgiving, explaining forgiveness is available to all who believe, explaining that he has taken the first step to make things right, loving others as you have been so richly loved. So to the second half of these verses that I have here. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. From a very human, well-intentioned, and imperfect old man, let's learn forgiveness. Personally needed, still. Publicly demonstrated for everyone to see that I'm just a sinner that's been forgiven and purposely shared with all as we all walk out of darkness into these paths of peace, spiritual, physical, material. Let's make sure we are looking at forgiveness from both sides, our own need of it and our own need to share it as we have received it. He has taken the first step to make things right. Let's respond in faith and let's share what we have received. I invite the musicians to come and lead us in a hymn of response right now in preparation for our approaching the Lord's table.